morning, good morning, and it's hot in here today, huh? It's hot in there. When they sang that song about consuming fire, I was like, no, consuming cold, consuming cold. That's what we want. This morning, you know, when we were here at church about 8 o'clock in the morning, the power all went out. Okay, while we were setting up, actually, no, it's 8.30 when we had already started the service. Lights went down, everything went down. So I think something happened with the AC, and it is outside of our control. But hey, that's how I feel every Sunday up here with these lights. So welcome to the club there. So welcome to the club there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Father Anthony. Welcome to the well here at STSA. So great to see so many faces here today. We're on the second week of a series that I'm super duper excited about. I started to talk about last week called Speaking of Health. And why I'm super excited? Because we're not just talking about theory in this series. I'm not just sharing stuff that I read in a book, but I'm sharing stuff that I experienced very, very personally. And last week I shared a little bit of my story about how several years ago in life, I discovered myself a little bit off. Things weren't right. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't where I need to be in so many different areas and everything seemed okay on the outside, but I was just things were off. And I kept trying to fix it spiritually. I kept thinking I had a spiritual problem. And it wasn't until I realized that my problem was actually not spiritual, that it was all the other facets of my life that I for until I as much as I was trying to solve it spiritually, further and further and further I got from the answer. But was when I realized this key statement that things started to make sense. And that's our key thought for this series that I am one person made up of many parts, all of which are connected, and all of which belong to God. I'm one person, I'm not many persons. I'm one person. And if there's any part of the one person that's not healthy, then the whole thing isn't healthy. We talked about this last week. We don't say my left lung has cancer, but the rest of me is fine, thank God. We don't say that my right elbow is broken, but thankfully the rest of me is in good health. If any part of me is broken or unhealthy or functioning at suboptimal level, then the whole thing is off. And that's what I discovered, like I shared last week. I discovered that actually I didn't have a spiritual problem. You know what I had? I had a physical problem. My eating was out of control. I wasn't, I wasn't eating healthy and I wasn't keeping in good shape physically. And I started to, to address that. I realized that, that, that my mind was not in the top shape that it should have been in. I was given too much TV, too little reading, and I was suboptimal up here. As much as I was fasting and praying and fasting and praying, it didn't solve the problem. But when I realized that my spiritual health is connected to my mental health, and my physical health, and my emotional health, and my relational health, that's when I started to see a difference. And the end result of it, as I shared last week, is these days, at this time in my life, I believe that I am working less than before, but more efficiently and more effectively than before, because I feel like this thing is in good shape. And just as a little bit of a brag right here, one of my favorite things is I've been a priest now 17 years. Whenever I go to the priest meetings and there's all a whole bunch of people who look like me and dress like me and they're all priests, Every time I go to one of these things, people always come to me and say, congratulations for the ordination. Congratulations. So I like, I take that as like, that's right, you know, I'll take it. Here's our key verse for this series. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you were raised in church, this might be surprising what I'm about to say, but God cares just as much about your physical as, is, as you're spiritual, and we can add on to that emotional, mental, and relational, that, that taking care of your body is just as important as taking care of your spirit. We didn't, we didn't, they, they didn't teach this stuff when we were growing up. What we were taught growing up 
is that your body doesn't matter. You shouldn't care about your body. That's vain. That's materialistic. We were taught just care about your spirit, just pray, just fast, and God will provide. And if God isn't providing and things aren't solving, you're not praying hard enough. You're not fasting enough. That if you just address everything spiritually, everything should be fine. That's what we were taught. But that's not what scripture says. In fact, what I came to the conclusion during this period of my life 10 years ago, whenever it was, I realized that not caring for my body was actually affecting me spiritually worse than I realized. Because, let's think of it this way. Many of the problems that we have in life today, we think they're spiritual. But I would say, maybe some of them aren't spiritual problems after all. For example, you say you struggle with self-control and you fill in the blank of what area you struggle with self-control. Maybe you struggle with self-control. Maybe you need to pray more. Maybe you need to fast more. Or maybe your brain is a little bit over-anxious. And maybe you have some obsessive-compulsive tendencies in your brain, which is normal, like, it, like a lot of people have it. It's not, not a big deal. That You can fast and you can pray, but as long as you got that obsessive-compulsive and you don't realize that's working in there, that, that's working against you and that's fighting against you and you're trying to fast and pray, but you're not making any headway. Let's say, for example, you say, I need to trust God more with my future. I'm single now and I need to trust God more that God will provide. Maybe you need to trust God more. Maybe it's a trust God issue. Or maybe it's a you don't have healthy relationships issue. And maybe you need to get your relational health in order with people of the same sex as well as people of the opposite sex. And maybe if you started to get your relational life in order, invest more in your relational health, maybe it's not a trust God issue after all. Father Anthony, I can't pray enough. I'm always tired, I'm always fatigued, and I can't stand up to pray. I can't wake up in the morning to pray. I can't pray like I used to. Maybe a spiritual problem, or maybe because you eat like you were still in college. And maybe that diet is making you fatigued. And maybe the fact that you stay up until two o'clock in the morning has more to do with your inability to pray in the morning than anything spiritual and fasting and praying. I'm not excusing sin. I'm not excusing sin. But all I'm saying is we must diagnose the situation properly. And many of the things that we diagnose as spiritual are simply not spiritual. Why? Because I'm one person made up of many parts. All of those parts are connected and all of those parts belong to God. We say this in the prayers of the divine liturgy when we ask God to purify our souls, our bodies, and our spirits. The church teaches us that we are one person. And for this one person to be pure and ready to receive God, I need to be sanctified in my body, in my mind or soul, and in my spirit as well. And that's what we're talking about here in this series. Now, when it comes to those three parts, body, soul, and spirit, okay, talked about this last week, soul and mind, we'll use those terms interchangeably, meaning that we have a body, we have a flesh, but then we have something inside it that drives it. Okay, if we had a body without a soul, Okay, we would be like a plant, okay? Or we would be like, even the term that you often hear is when a human being is alive in body, but not alive in mind, we call them a vegetable, okay? So that's what that means, body, but we have a, have a soul. Spirit is the spirit of God that dwells in us. That's that third component. That's a spiritual component. We talk a lot about the spiritual component in church. We know a lot about the physical component. What we're talking about in this series is that middle one, the soul or the mind, all right? What we're trying to figure out is how to keep our minds healthy. I talked about this last week. If you talk about your body, okay, are there more than just two options? Meaning, 
can we just look at everyone in this room and just put them in two categories, say everyone is here, is healthy, here is unhealthy, or are there degrees along the spectrum? All of us can improve our health. Okay, we would all agree that, that there's no such thing as this guy's healthy, this guy's unhealthy, and, there, and there's a great divide between them. No, same thing when it comes to our spirits. We can't say these people are holy and these people are sinners. What we say is all of us are somewhere on the spectrum. We need to improve our spiritual health. The same is true with our mind. The same is true when it comes to our soul, our mental health. We don't say either we're mentally sick or we're mentally fine. What we say is we need to improve and invest in our mental health, the health of our soul, and make sure that it is as optimal as can be. Everyone is somewhere on the spectrum. What we're trying to do in this series is how to get further along on the healthy side. And the most important thing that we learned last week, I shared this with you last week, what we learned last week, our takeaway was that our mind is not the same as our brain. Your mind is not your brain. Your brain is just a brain. It's an organ. It's just a physical thing that I can take. Okay, this is almost life-size. Probably real brain's a little bit bigger. Okay, mine's probably a lot bigger, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> and it's simply an organ. And by itself, it can't do anything. Like if I take my brain out my head and I put it right there, and I say, look at it go, it can't do anything. The brain needs to be commanded and controlled by the soul or the mind. My mind controls my brain. My mind controls my brain. My mind is me. I control my brain, not my brain control me. My brain is simply an organ. My mind is the programmer behind it who tells it what to do. Now, with that said, it is just an organ, but it is the most important organ in your body. And did you know, we talked about this last week, that your brain controls more than just how you think. It controls how you feel. It controls how you react. It controls what you, what you think about when you're sleeping. Did you know that you think while you sleep? It controls how you respond in certain situations. And by studying one's brain, one can determine tendencies for your life. Okay, that this person based on their brain is most likely going to respond in certain ways. This person based on their brain is more likely to be addicted, okay, to struggle with addiction than other people. It's based on this organ right here. We know that in our brain, it's only 2% of our body weight but it consumes 25 to 30% of the calories we intake because it's that important. In our brain, there are more than 100 billion nerve cells. How cool is that? And we know that our brain is deteriorating after age 25, that we're losing brain cells every single day. But what we also learned over the past few years or decades or whatever it may be is that we can also grow our brains and improve them just like any other muscle in our body. We can grow our biceps. We can grow our, 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 our shoulder muscles. We can improve our, our liver and our kidney. These things can improve with certain behaviors. We're learning the same thing about our brain. So what we're going to talk about here today is how that happens. And we're going to talk about mental health. But I know when I say mental health, some people say, I don't need this. And I'm like, forget about mental health. Let me give you a different word. I want to talk about brain health. How about that? Because mental health means different things to different people. And you say, I don't need mental health, but I say, you got a brain in your head. Do you want it to be stronger and better? Because I certainly do. I want my brain to be as strong and big as possible. I want my brain to be as sharp as it can be all the days of my life. So what we're gonna talk about here today is brain health and how we're gonna see scientifically and also scripturally what we can do to invest in our brain 
And in order to kick off the discussion, has anyone ever heard of a lady named Dr. Caroline Leaf? Anybody ever heard of her? A couple people, not too many. Caroline Leaf, you can read more about her online, is a cognitive neuroscientist who about 20 years ago asked a simple question. She said, can the mind change the brain? That was her question. When she asked that question, it was commonly held that your brain is just your brain and there's no changing it. So if you have a traumatic brain injury or if you, um, you know, have started to deteriorate with dementia or Alzheimer's or you drank a lot in college or you drink a lot or you smoke a lot, then basically your brain is dying and there's nothing that can be done about. That was the commonly held belief. She asked the question, is there anything that one's mind can do to change one's brain or is it kind of set in stone? I'll give you the summary of what she said. Basically, what she came to the conclusion is, and based on the word of God, because she's a strong believer, she came to the conclusion that the mind actually can affect the brain. That we aren't just stuck with the mind that, or the brain that we got and doomed. Again, just like everything else in your body. These are the biceps I'm given, but I can do something about it. These are the, 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 the liver I'm given, but I can do stuff to deteriorate it or to improve it. Same thing she discovered with the brain. So what she began to do is to study it. She would go to brain damaged patients, people who had severe damage to their brain, and she would work with them. She would go to kids who are severely underperforming, talking about kids who are at like age 18, but whose brains are functioning at like a third grade level. And she would go and she would attempt certain kinds of treatment and therapy, which we'll talk about in a second, and she would travel across the world to see if anything could be done and then measure the brains afterward. And I'm going to bring you a quote, okay, from her. It's kind of a long quote, but it's so powerful about a specific instance that she talks about a lot. One of the turning points in my career came when I encountered a 16-year-old girl who had a traumatic brain injury as a result of a car accident. She had recently come out of a two-week coma and was operating around a fourth grade level at school instead of 12th grade level like her peers. So girl, 12th grade, that's 17 years old, now functioning as a fourth grader because of whatever accident that she got into. Using the self-regulatory, mind-driven, five-step learning process I had developed, which we'll talk about later, whatever process, mind-driven. I worked with this young lady on a one-on-one -on -one basis. She was determined to catch up with her peer group, and I believe she could achieve her previous levels of academic performance again. Within eight months, the miracle happened. Eight months. This young woman was able to graduate high school with her own class and went on to university. In fact, she compared to before her accident, listen to this, her IQ increased 20 points and her overall academic performance improved. This was highly unusual as research at the time showed the opposite was normally the case in TBI, traumatic brain injury. However, a negative trend was turned into a positive trend through intentional mind work. And to validate what she said, okay, so she said someone brain operating at a fourth grade level because of this injury. Through working with them, intentional mind work, not surgery, not surgery, not medicine, not surgery, not medicine, but through intentional mind work, through treating the mind and using the mind to fix the brain, okay? This girl not only got up back to where she was, 20 points higher on the IQ, and I'm gonna show you, a, this, is a, 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 this is not the same girl. Okay, but this is another example of, of many people who have been treated. Okay, showed you all pictures of brains last week. And this is a picture of a person before treatment, after treatment, someone whose brain literally changed 
after treatment, not medicine and not surgery, but after treatment. And what was that treatment again? Let's go back to what she said. What was the treatment that this person received? Intentional mind work. What does that mean? Intentional mind work. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, is did you know that your brain, the most powerful thing inside you, most powerful program, computer program in the world, this brain right here, you can control it. You can affect it. You know how? By your thoughts. Usually, we think of thoughts as something that are dictated to us. Usually, we think of thoughts as something outside of my control, the thoughts in my head. Usually, we think of thoughts as just like, you know, random, abstract, whatever. But did you know that science teaches us that thoughts are real and thoughts are tangible? Just because you can't touch it with your hands doesn't mean that it can't be measured and it doesn't mean it doesn't have a tangible effect on your body and specifically on your brain. They say, I don't know how they measure this stuff, but they say that the average person, and you want to guess how many thoughts you have per day? The average person has 30,000 thoughts per day. 30,000 thoughts. So wives, when he says you're not thinking about anything, there's something in there. You just got to dig a little bit to get the last one out. Okay, but there's some thoughts that are in there. And each thought, this is fascinating stuff. Each thought is a physical experience for your brain. Every thought that you have makes connections in your brain. Every thought that you have. You see all these bumps and lines and things like that? No two brains will look the same. You know why? Because of the thoughts that we think. And you could think of it this way. I'm oversimplifying it, but you could think of it this way. That every time you have a thought, it's like a, a connection that happens in your brain. If it happens once and never happens again, it'll probably go and disappear and that's it. But if it happens over and over and over and over, then these lines start to become engraved. Think of it like a river. Think of it if I pour some water down a mountain, it'll just drive down the mountain and, and go away. But if it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, what's gonna happen to that mountain? It's gonna start to do some erosion. It's gonna start to change the mountain. That's what your thoughts do to your brain. Your thoughts have the power to rewire your brain over time. And when you understand this and take advantage of it, it has great power. But if you don't understand it, you'll be in trouble. So that what that means is the following. Every time you tell yourself, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. Every time you tell yourself it's the end of the world, that thought gets a little more engraved in your head. And it becomes that much easier the next time you have the, the same experience to think the same thing. Every time you say to yourself, he doesn't really love me. I don't think he loves me. I don't think he loves me. He didn't show me he loved me. I don't think he loves me. Every time you tell yourself that, it becomes easier for it to happen again and for you to believe it. Every time you tell yourself, I'm not worth it. I have no value. Every time you tell yourself, I'm a failure, it becomes that much easier because it becomes engraved inside your head. You wanna know the scary part of all this? I told you, you have, everyone has 30,000 thoughts per day. You wanna know the scary part? 95% of those thoughts are subconscious. 95% of the thoughts that you think happen without you even being aware. Your brain is working even while you're sleeping, okay? Your brain is working. Your brain is working. There are thoughts that are running through your head. And if I said 95% of 30,000, that's more than 28,000 thoughts per day are happening in your head that you have no control over. Now, maybe you do have control over it. 
You control it by what the thoughts that you put inside your head, which lead to more thoughts. So what that means, those 28,000 thoughts per day that are happening subconsciously, they impact how you feel. They impact whether you're angry or sad. Those thoughts that are happening in your head impact how you feel. They impact how you react, whether you will blow up or walk away when a situation happens at work. The thoughts that are running through your head all day, all day, all day, all day, and then you get to that situation. Those thoughts have primed your brain, so your reaction will be based on the 28,000 subconscious thoughts that are already in there. Those thoughts will affect you in such a way of how you look at other people. They'll affect you how you look at yourself. They'll affect when you decide to give up and say, you know what, life just isn't worth it anymore. May not be a conscious thought that one that puts it over the top, maybe those subconscious ones. So what we need to do is figure out how we can impact these things. The scripture says it this way, Proverbs 23, verse seven. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's very, very simple. You are the sum total of your thoughts. And if you were able to put all your thoughts on a piece of paper, you could see your life right there in front of you. Because you are, and I am, the sum total of what I choose to think about. Because what I choose to think about affects what I think about when I don't make choices, and in the end, that's what affects my life. We know today that many illnesses, doctors, y'all know this one, many illnesses of today, physical illnesses, are triggered by our thoughts. Did you know that, that they can link up to, I can't, what's it here, 1,400 known diseases can be linked to fear and anxiety. 1,400 known diseases can be linked to fear and anxiety. Those fear and anxious thoughts can trigger hormonal and chemical changes in your body that are linked with these diseases. We talk about anxiety, talk about guilt, talk about shame. Every thought that you have is literally rewiring your brain as it's going through there. Is that encouraging or not encouraging? Is that exciting or not exciting? I get pumped up when I hear this stuff. You know why? You know why I get pumped up? Because it means I'm in control. And it means I can do something. It means I am not a slave to my brain. I'm not a slave to this guy. He doesn't control me, I control him. And if I understand this stuff from both a scientific and a scriptural perspective, because they're not against each other, okay? Science is not against God. Science is an explanation of the things that God created in this world. And that's why we love science, because science helps put an answer of why to many of the things that God did. Well, that's a great thing, and we, we, we encourage that very, very, very much. And the more you learn about science, the more you learn about God. Science tells us, and Scripture backs it up, that I can control my brain. Let me give you a nice verse right here. 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I believe that my mind, which controls my brain, not my brain, my mind, my mind is not my brain. I believe that my mind and your mind is the most powerful thing that we have. And my mind is more powerful than medicine. And my mind is more powerful than any other things that exist out there. That any kinds of, 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 of negative that can come in, my mind has the power to heal me in such a way that nothing else can. Your brain may have weakness, but your mind can do something about it. Here's our key thought for today. You can change your brain 
by changing your thoughts. You can change your brain by changing your thoughts. It sounds so simple, but it's so powerful. You can change your brain by changing your thoughts. If we said that our brain dictates so much about our life, I can change my brain by changing my thoughts. And by changing my brain, I end up changing my life. Let's go to a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where St. Paul says this. Those of you who struggle with, can we control our thoughts? Aren't our thoughts just something that's automatic? And can I really do anything about them? I'm just kind of like, that's just how I think. Well, listen to what St. Paul says. He says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know what that means? What St. Paul is saying in that verse is that you are responsible for your thoughts. You are responsible for your thoughts. You are not just a victim to your thoughts and that you can take control of them. Thoughts, the way I always look at it, are kind of like flies. You know when it's like, like a thousand degrees in the summer and there's like those little gnats and those little flies and they come and they, they and you do like this, just like some of you are doing now with the fan, like you do like this, okay? And you push them away. That's how thoughts are. A lot of them just kind of jump at it from outside, but you have the ability to stand there like a statue and do nothing about it and let them make a nest on your head. Or you have the ability to push them away. Or you have the ability to get the spray gun. Or you have the ability to call mosquito squad or whatever it may be. Like you have the power to do something about it. Yes, you can't stop them from coming at you. Thoughts will appear all the time. And like I said, it happened in your subconscious. But you are not a victim. You are not a slave. You're not a robot. You are made in the image of God. You have a body, which includes a brain, but you have a mind, which controls the brain. And then you also have the spirit of God to which you subject your soul and your mind, which is ultimately what's controlling your brain. So the power here is coming from God. My spirit controls my mind, my mind controls my brain. We are not innocent, or we are not victims. And we not that we have nothing that we can do about it. We can take control by taking control of our thoughts. With that said, okay, what I'm about to say right now, Everything I'm about to say from now on, there's exceptions, but I'm talking generalities. If I'm going to talk about your physical health and I'm going to stand up here and give a lecture, I'm going to say, your elbow is supposed to bend like this. Hey, there's some people who are born and their elbow doesn't bend like this. If I say, you know, you're supposed to be able to bend your knee like this. Hey, some people are born, their knee doesn't bend like that. There's some people who have less control over their thoughts than others. And we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that next week, but I'm talking generalities and generally speaking. Your brain doesn't control your mind. Your mind controls your brain. And I'll prove it to you. I'll prove to you you can control your thoughts. Everyone think about ice cream right now. Can you do it? Is there anyone who cannot think about ice cream right now? Is anyone who's like, I can't. I can't think about an ice cream. You just told your brain, think about ice cream. I tell you, think about a, 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 you know, a polar bear. Can you think of a polar bear? If I tell you, think about a grilled cheese sandwich, the cheese dripping, Butter on both sides and you can do it, can't you? You can control at any moment in time, you can put thoughts in your head. What we need to learn to do based on this verse is we need to be better at controlling the thoughts that we allow in our heads, the gnats that are flying around, the the flies. We got to control what goes in and what stays on the outside. I always think of it based on this verse, bring every thought into captivity. You know how when you enter a foreign country that there's like a custom station, there's like the passport guy. And what does he do? 
He stands there. You wait in that long line forever unless you got the fast pass or whatever. And you stand in that long line, and he asks you 10,000 questions. And some of them, I don't even think he cares about the answer to. But what's he trying to do? What he's trying to do is determine, are you bringing anything into this country that is a threat to our nation? That's what he's doing. Do you have any, you know, vegetables or animals or anything that's a threat to the people in this country? We need to have a custom station on here. Here comes a thought. I'm a failure. Hold on. Excuse me, sir. Before that thought enters my mind, is this thought going to hurt the people in my nation? If it yes, you got to get out. I get a thought that says, um, I'm never going to uh, amount to anything. Excuse me, sir. I can't just let any thought in my head. Because I'm telling you that every thought rewires your brain. So you can't just let any guy walk in there that can threaten to destroy all the other people in the nation. We must take every thought captive. One of my favorite parts about this series is I'm reading information to try to prepare these talks for Sunday. One of my favorite things is when I say something dumb and then I find a smart person who says the same thing in nicer words. That's such validation. Because sometimes I'm just, you know, I'm speaking experientially. I'm not speaking from a scientific background. I'm saying what I see and what I see in people and in myself. And I'm sometimes say dumb stuff. And then you find the people who study the stuff, who have the, lots of letters behind their name. And they say the same thing from a scientific perspective. So that's when you know we're studying the same person from a spiritual, from a physical. It's like it's all the same. We're one person. Dr. Daniel Amen, who I spoke about last week, the guy who did the brain specs, one of the leading guys in studying what happens to the brain. He's given several TED Talks. You should go look them up. They're fantastic. He spoke. One of them was titled, What I Learned After 85,000 Brain Scans. What I Learned After 85,000 Brain Scans. The most single most important thing that this guy learned after 85,000 brain scans. One of the leading neuroscientist guys in the world. He was the guy who was involved with like the NFL when they wanted to study the brains. And he's the one who helped put them on the right track so they stopped telling lies about the damage that the football does. And he said, after 85,000 brain scans, this is what he said, you don't have to believe every stupid thought you have. That's what he learned. You don't have to believe every stupid thought that you heard. A minute ago, I told you thoughts are real. Every thought is real, but that doesn't make it true. Every thought that you have is real, but that doesn't make it true. And what we need to get better at is taking that thought captive. We need to go, because we have a sound mind, even if our brain is damaged, we have a sound mind, which is directed by the Spirit of God. That's why we come to church. And we need to take every thought captive and say to this thought before it enters, are you good or no good? Are you true or not true? Are you helpful or are you hurtful? Before we allow it into our head. Dr. Daniel Amen coined a term for these negative thoughts. And that term is ANTS. And ANTS stands for automatic negative thoughts. He came up with this term. He had been one day at the office, spent all day dealing with people who had all kinds of, 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 of serious psychological and mental issues. Whether it was suicide, or whether it was abuse, or whether people with traumatic brain injury, what, what, all kinds of stuff. And he had all, a, a very long day. And then he went home. And when he went home, he went into his kitchen. And he saw a couple of ants. And he, like, you know, killed them or whatever it may be. And then he turned over here and he saw more ants. 
And he saw more ants. And he saw that his kitchen was infested with ants. And every time he stepped on one, three more appeared. And every time he opened the bread thing, more popped out there. So he came up with this acronym on the spot. Because he said, that's how many of us are, that's what happens in our brains, is we get automatic negative thoughts. And one negative thought by itself is not dangerous, just as one ant. And neither are two. But the problem is when they're the automatic kind that flood us, and they infest us, and they mess stuff up on the inside. He came up with this acronym about ants, and he came up with nine types of ants. You can read more about this online, or you can get his books. He's written several books. I'll go through them real quick, and then we're going to watch a video, a four-minute video of him explaining how to deal with the ants. These are the nine types of ants that he came up with, and again, I'll just go through them quickly. Think of them like different species of ants at a picnic. First is always never thinking, always never thinking. I'll never get a raise. I'll never amount to anything. I'll always be depressed. I'll always be lonely. When you tend to put things out there that they're like to the extremes. Number two is always focusing on the negative, seeing only the bad. So-and-so doesn't like me. Yeah, but so-and-so does. Well, I got passed by by this job. Yeah, but you got an offer from this job. Certain people tend to see only the negatives Okay, those automatic negative thoughts that you only, you naturally gravitate towards the negative that didn't happen versus the positive that is happening. Fortune telling. This is where, no matter what the situation, you predict the worst possible outcome. You hear about a disease on the TV, oh, I think I have it. You hear about an accident on the other side of Fairfax County, that's probably my daughter. Like you automatically jump to the worst possible thing, okay, when it comes to your thoughts. Mind reading. This is where you assume you know what other people are thinking. This is a big one in marriage, where you automatically assume that you know what your husband or your wife or someone else is thinking. Oh, they're mad at me. Oh, they're annoyed at me. You know, just to show you how I can preach this stuff on Sunday and then fall into it on Monday. Just two days ago, me and Marianne, we went to an event with her company, like a, a you know, like a, a, like an event, like a social event, okay, whatever it was. Okay, and I hate these things, but you know, like, gotta pay the bills. We gotta, you know, do our thing. So we go, and then we, you know, chat with all the different kinds of people, and we get back in the car, and then we do what any couple does after an event like that. We analyze the event, okay? Analyze every interaction. So I'm the one who started off by being like, oh, you know, so-and-so, that interaction. I don't think she likes me. And I think she's probably upset because of this, this, and that. And then Marianne, the lady said, the lady was a very positive interaction. But I started in my mind, I don't think she likes me. I think she's, and Marianne took it the next step, saying, no, I actually think it's her boyfriend that doesn't like us because of this, this. <laughs> That's mind reading. Next, thinking with your feelings. That's when you say, you know what? I know he says this, but I just don't feel like he means it. I just don't feel like I'm in a good place. I just don't feel... Like, like, like I'm loved. I just don't, like, when you automatically, everything goes to your feelings. Guilt. That's people who use the word should have, must have, have to a lot. Okay? Not I, not I'm going to church on Sunday. I have to go to church on Sunday. Not, um, again, this company event, I'm forced to go to, like, human nature, in case you didn't realize this, is anytime you feel forced to do anything, you automatically don't want to do it. That's why I always tell people, you don't have to pray. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church because a lot of people don't get to go to a church that's this hot on a Sunday. Labeling is when you call either yourself or somebody else a derogatory term and you put them in a group. Losers, jerks, failures, no goods. Once you put a label and you remove a name, once you remove a name and you put a label, you can deal with that person in a horrible number of ways, including yourself. 
because you no longer see Father Anthony. You see loser. You no longer see, you know, your boss with his name or her name. You just see, you know, mean people or jerks or whatever it may be. That's labeling. Personalization, when you take everything personal. My boss didn't say hi to me this morning. Oh, he must be mad at me. Or my boss, look, maybe he was in a rush. You know, maybe, you know, he, he was on the phone or something like that. Or maybe, you know, he had Taco Bell and he has to rush to the bathroom. Like, there could be a thousand reasons why your boss didn't say hi to you. Don't automatically take everything personal. Last but not least, the worst of them all is blaming. Blaming is where it's always everybody else's fault and never your own. This is the worst of them. Because you know what? If I think that my problem is your fault, then you know what? I can't solve it. If it's I'm in this situation because so-and-so, or because so-and-so, or because my parents, or because my sister, if it's everyone else's fault, then you know what? You will never, ever solve it because you're waiting for someone else to solve a problem that only you can solve. How do we deal with these ants? We're going to watch a little video clip right now. Okay, it's about four minutes long of Dr. Daniel Amen talking about these ants and how to deal with them. So pay attention. You want, you want to kill the ants running around your head. What's that? Ant stands for automatic negative thoughts. The thoughts that come into your mind automatically and ruin your day. You do not have to believe every stupid thought that you have. Anxiety and depression are driven by negative thinking patterns. This is something they should have taught you in second grade. Whenever you feel sad, mad, nervous, or out of control, write down what you're thinking. Because the act of writing it down helps to get it out of your head. And then evaluate the quality of your thoughts. And in my work, I talk about nine different kinds of ants, things like fortune-telling and mind-reading, guilt, beatings, focusing on the negative, blame. And so you identify them, and then you talk back to them. So one of my favorite examples is in 1989, I wrote an article for Parade Magazine called How to Get Out of Your Own Way. We got 10,000 letters to our office. And I'm like, whoa. And CNN asked me if I would be on one of their shows. And I'd never been on television before. And I was excited and nervous. Because if you knew me, I can have a fair amount of anxiety. And, but I decided, OK, I will, I'll go do that. And I'm in the green room waiting to go on. And all of a sudden, my heart starts beating out of my chest. And I can't catch my breath. And I'm like, I got to get the hell out of here. And thank God for me that the little voice in my head starts laughing at me. Oh, 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 oh. You treat people that have this problem. What would you tell them to do? Don't leave. Because if you leave an anxious situation where it's not dangerous, the situation now controls you. Breathe. So I've been teaching my patients diaphragmatic breathing to calm down their anxiety. They start breathing. Write down your thoughts. So I got a piece of paper. I wrote down, first thought, you're going to forget your name. <laughs> now I've been on television literally thousands of times since then, and no one's ever asked me my name. <laughs> they already knew it. They invited me. The second thought 
was you're going to stutter. And the third thought was two million people are going to think you're an idiot. <laughs> like, no wonder you're so anxious. That is so stupid. And then so I identified them. So you're going to forget your name. It's fortune telling. I'm predicting the future. And once you identify the thought, you then talk back to it. And you sort of have an attitude with it. How many of you were good at talking back to your parents when you were teenagers? <laughs> I was excellent. But it's funny how we never talk back to ourselves. So you're going to forget your name, fortune telling. And I wrote, probably not. I've never forgotten my name. But if I do, I have my driver's license in my wallet. <laughs> You're going to stutter, fortune telling. Probably not, but if you do, there are probably stutterers who will have a new doctor they can relate to. <laughs> and then the third one was two million people are going to think you're an idiot. Now I went mind reading. How do I know what they're going to think? And then right next to it, I wrote, probably so. But then I wrote the numbers 18, 40, 60, which is a rule I've been teaching my patients called the 18, 40, 60 rule that says when you're 18, you worry about what everybody's thinking of you. And when you're 40, you don't give a damn what anybody thinks about you. And when you're 60, you realize no one has been thinking about you at all. <laughs> People spend their days worrying and thinking about themselves, not you. And I was able to, like, settle myself down, go on TV, didn't do very well, but at least it got me a second shot. Because what would have happened in my career if I would have left the studio in Los Angeles? is I'd have never come back. And I wouldn't have gotten to meet Larry King and all the sort of wonderful people I've gotten to work with over the years. Don't believe every stupid thought you have. So here's the exercise. Whenever you feel sad, mad, nervous, or out of control, write down your thoughts. Identify the distortion and talk back to it. So there it goes. He gave us a three, he actually gave us two steps, but I'm adding a third step onto it, okay? When you have these thoughts, okay? He said anytime you get sad, mad, nervous, or out of control, but you can add whatever you want. You identify the thought, you challenge the thought, you refocus your thoughts. So you identify the thought, as he said, and I'm, I'm a believer, as you guys know, I'm a big fan of writing stuff down. I think when you write stuff down, I think it becomes much clearer. So like he did, he got a piece of paper and he wrote down, you know, I think I'm going to forget my name. The advantage of writing it down. Most of us struggle with this first step. Most of us don't identify our thought until we've already acted upon it. And by then, even if we don't act upon it, once we've had the thought, then it's already started working, like I said, rewiring your brain. So the quicker you can get that thought down, and then, like I said, challenge it, talk back to it, put your mind back in control of your brain, not your brain in control of your mind, and then third is refocus it. And when I say refocus, meaning put something good in there, put a true thought in there. And this is, again, where scripture backs up science. I should say science backs up scripture. Finally, brethren, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, listen to this. Listen to this great mental health advice, this brain health advice 
that before there was any science, look what St. Paul says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, you're comparing this to your Twitter feed right now, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And meditate is just a fancy word for think a lot about. And by the way, this verse right here comes after a famous passage, two verses earlier, the two verses that precede this, where St. Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving. He's saying, don't let anxiety control you. Have a grateful heart, a thankful heart, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. The very thing that we're looking for and the way that we get it, the way that we do it is we control our brain by our mind. We change our thoughts in order to change our brain. And when we change our brain, we will change our life. I'll give you one more verse right here. Romans chapter 12, verse two. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Most of us think in terms of happiness. We think of happiness in terms of what happens to us. When I get a promotion, when I get a new house, when I get married, when I have kids, we think of promotion, we think of happiness as outside in. And what scripture tells us, and science backs it up, is that happiness is actually inside out. You choose, I've always said this, I believe you choose your level of happiness in life. You choose how satisfied you are in your marriage. You choose how much you're going to trust God. You choose it based on the thoughts that you choose to focus on. You are not a victim of your thoughts. You are in control of your thoughts. And you can change your thoughts, which will change your brain, which will change your life. And your life, ultimately, your body, think of it like an ecosystem. Okay, your body, all, your person. Okay, I am one person. It's like an ecosystem. Okay, and everything is self-contained inside here. When negative thoughts, those automatic negative thoughts, that's like polluting the water stream. Everything feeds off the water stream in the, in the ecosystem. So if the water is bad and there's negative stuff, pollution in the water, it's gonna impact every part of my life. That's what happens when we have negativity in our thoughts. But the opposite is also true. When I purify the water supply, when I make sure it has the word of God, when I make sure that it's things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and praiseworthy, and I get rid of all the negative and all the derogatory and all the cursing stuff and all the defaming stuff and all just the bad mood stuff. And I fill it with positivity. I promise you, you will see an impact. Last thing I want to say. One of the things that we have in our, in our church prayers for baptism, one of my favorite parts of the prayer, right before we baptize someone into the, into the, into the church. And baptism is a new birth. One of the things that we say is this. We say, Lord, direct their hearts away from all evil earthly thoughts, praying for their thoughts, and grant them, I love this expression, that they think as befits living beings, <clears throat> and that they understand your will. That they think as befits living beings. What's he saying in a nicer way? He's saying, don't believe every stupid thought you have. I'm praying that this person who's being baptized 
I'm not praying that they can think as an alive person in an alive, they're already alive. I'm praying that they would think alive as befits living beings. And that is my prayer for every single one of you. That when a thought comes in your head, you have a choice. You can accept it or reject it. And my prayer is that we would learn how to take every thought captive, reject the ones that are false, take it, push it far away, and accept the ones that are true, and begin to insert more of those true ones. And I promise you, I promise you, who you are, what you think, how you relate, ultimately is the sum of the thoughts that you choose to put in your brain. You do not need to leave your life to chance or to whatever brain you were given. You can do something about it by changing your thoughts. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you for all that you've provided us with, Lord. You've given us all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. You've given us a sound mind, a mind full of love, not of fear. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to take every thought captive, that no more that we're just, our lives are, are kind of tossed to and fro by whatever thoughts just happen to be around us. Help us to take control of our lives by taking control of our thoughts that ultimately, as that verse said, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind and see your good and perfect and acceptable will for our lives. These things we pray in the name of your Son, with the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.